Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast, life lessons and conversations from the garden. Hi, I'm your host, Misty Little, and this is episode 18 of season three. And finally, it is March, and I can definitely say that spring is here. I don't think we're going to be getting any more freezes, though I kind of got nervous the other day when I looked this week and saw that there's a possibility of um, dipping into the 30s, but that's changed again, so crossing my fingers. Um, but everything's blooming, everything's great, it's gorgeous right now, everything's awakening, and we even got out and did some hiking over the weekend, found a couple of orchids, and may apples, and lots of just cool spring ephemerals. It was, um, it was very cathartic, finally, after all these months of gray, drab winter. Now, you might be still sitting under snow, and I'm really sorry <laughs> about my joy in spring, but... I know y'all are getting it soon, so hang in there, it's coming. Today's guest is Brad Grimm with Grow Milkweed Plants, and I remember coming across Brad for the first time back when I was on Twitter, there was a lot of uh, garden chat hashtags going around that, you know, weekly you would check into these hashtags and there's questions going on, and that's how I remember becoming familiar with him originally. And over the last few years, you know, I've popped in his Instagram and his website uh, on occasion, but I thought it'd be nice to talk to him to see how he really began the website, and how he became interested in growing, growing milkweed and for the monarchs, but because he, he also has a podcast too, and you may have come across it as well in your um, iTunes searches or Stitcher searches, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And he's been trying this season to walk people through how to propagate milkweed plants from seed. So in the episode, you'll hear hear him talk how he became interested in 2013 after he went to a roosting site in California and later took that that moment in time where there weren't very many monarchs roosting and realizing that, hey, maybe he was somebody who could try to do something. And so he, over the couple of years, he got milkweed plants and started getting monarchs and just kind of stumbled into building the site, creating a platform for sharing his interest in milkweed and the monarchs, but as well as educating other people along the way. So as he's learning, he's trying to educate everyone else too. So it's a very interesting conversation. He had a lot of useful uh, facts. So if you are interest, interested in growing milkweed plants and trying to establish a colony of milkweed for monarchs beyond you know having one or two plants here and there, he really kind of gives a good guide for how to do that. And in the end, he also talks about several resources where you can find him online and definitely check those out, especially if you're on Facebook. It sounds like the group he mentions is extremely helpful. And if you have any questions about growing milkweed, that would be the place to go. I learned a lot because there are some techniques for germinating the seeds that I hadn't heard about. And while I'm not going to employ them this year, I mean next year when I do a new batch of seeds in the fall. But for now... There is a lot to take in and a lot to learn. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Now, if you want to follow me, I'm on Instagram at the Garden Path Podcast, and you can find me on the website at thegardenpathpodcast.com. Drop an email, thegardenpathpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also sign up for my monthly newsletter at the website as well. And with that, I will let you guys listen in on what Brad has to say. All right. Well, thanks for wanting to come on the podcast. I'm glad we were able to schedule it and get it uh, going. So um, if you want to introduce yourself and t- 
tell everyone where you live, your uh, zone and your ecoregion and kind of describe where you're living? Yeah, so my name is Brad Grimm and uh, I'm the I'm the proprietor of growmilkweedplants.com. It's just a, a little cottage business that I started on the side, like a side hustle. I'm in Reno, Nevada in Sparks, um, which is a sister city. And uh, it's zone 7B is the USDA plant hardiness zone. And the ecoregion is, uh, the division is 340. And uh, the ecoregions, th- I'm on the border of 341 and 342. And I'll, I'll talk about ecoregions a little bit more later, but um, it's something that I've just been getting into, which is it's really helpful in determining like what milkweeds you might find in that location and um, what plants might be growing best uh, and what you might expect to see if you go out and take a look at the, the plants in your ecoregion. Yeah, I uh, think I'm going to start focusing on that a little bit more, too, after my conversation with Benjamin Vogt, because he was... He didn't really like the USDA zones and focus more on the ecoregions, but I read a little bit more about that and I did know a little bit about it, but not the extent, but I think I'm going to start doing a little bit more of that too. Yeah. The, uh, the difference between um, the zones is uh, you have a USDA zone that stretches all the way across the country, but the the plants on the West and the plants on the East, they don't really um, provide any benefit to um, the ecology, the plants that are the animals that use them, right. and echo regions is a lot, a lot more isolated. It really narrows it down, and so for that reason, it's it's really helpful for me. Yeah. So I guess why grow milkweed plants? Why do you start a website and a podcast, and maybe a little bit more background information on that? Yeah. So it was in um, 2013. Um, my wife and I, we, we went, um, well, we were, we were not even engaged at that time. We were dating and we went to California and I was going to show off the, the millions of monarchs that are down in the, the California area in, um, the natural bridges state park. And, uh, when we got there, there was, this was in uh, late February, or early March, there was about five monarch butterflies there. And, um, I was really disappointed and so I was standing in my kitchen in um, mid-2013, I think it was maybe June, and it was summertime, and I was thinking about that visit that we we had to California, and I realized that, uh, you know, there's probably something that I could do because I knew they were a mi- migratory butterfly. And so um, I'm not in California to help them when they're there, but when they leave California, they migrate all across the country. So um, you're in Texas, right? Yes. So in Texas, um, there's a Eastern population of butterflies that, that migrates down to Mexico Mm -hmm. and that's the larger population of butterflies. And out West we have the, uh, the butterflies that they winter in California, but then they spread out into Oregon, Washington. Um, they make it up into Idaho and where I am in Nevada and they come, they come right through my neighborhood. And I, I was I found out that milkweed was the plant that's going to um, be their host plant. So I I started searching. I said, well, what milkweed grows in Washoe County, for instance, or what milkweed grows in Sparks or even in Nevada in general? And uh, I wasn't entirely familiar with the USDA plants website at the time, but that was really the only resource that I found that had details about milkweed plants. And so I started digging into that and I realized like for the average, for the average Joe that tries to, you know, grow milkweed plants, they might not be able to find information about 
what's native in their state, um, you know, what milkweed plants they might be able to find in their backyard. And so that's when I was like, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to throw together a website, see how it does. And I'm just going to grab the information from the USDA. And um, I also got information from um, wildflower.org, which is, um, you're probably familiar with it. There's the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center in Texas. And uh, so I started getting the information about the native species and arranging it into lists that were easy for people to use. So if you search Nevada native milkweed or Texas native milkweed, there's a good chance you'll land on a list of the native milkweeds now. And that just wasn't available in 2013 when I was starting this website. Yeah, no, that sounds extremely helpful because I have a friend in Florida and she's even having trouble finding and knowing what milkweed is native to her area. So, and even just finding sea sources and you even go forth and try to connect the seed sources too. So. Yeah, I figured out early on that if I was going to be running a website and and the costs that were involved in it, that I was going to, I was going to have to um, monetize it in some way. Um, So I I started doing that with advertising, which uh, was kind of unreliable. And uh, so I started, I started selling seeds and, um, you know, I'll be honest, it was pretty humble beginnings because uh, I always, I still laugh about this to today because when I first set out to go find milkweed in my neighborhood, I ended up finding dogbane, which if you're familiar with trying to identify milkweed, um, dogbane is in the same plant family, but right. it's not a milkweed or a host plant. Mm-hmm. And this, the seeds are, are entirely different. Um, I think I sold three or four packets of dogbane under the guise of um, being milkweed on eBay when I first started out. So there was a pretty steep learning curve when I got into into doing this. <laughs> Did you have any irate customers that came out, came back at you and, and questioned that? Well, for, fortunately, I figured it out within a couple of weeks, um, but I, I was unable to get the actual um, milkweed seeds. And by the time that I was able to possibly correct the problem, I was no longer able to find the customer information. And so um, I feel really bad for them. I think they're in the Northwest. So if that, if that was you, you can contact me. We'll straighten things out. Oops. So, I mean, you went from seeing monarchs and kind of wondering strangely, you know, looking out the window, wondering about the monarchs, but did you grow up interested in plants or gardening in general? Well, um, so I think it, it mostly came about as uh, we were becoming homeowners and thinking about, you know, how is this land that we're living on um, going to give back, seeing as, you know, we, we basically flattened what we have right here. And because um, growing up, I, w- I was in the redwood trees um, in the forest there um, south of Half Moon Bay, California, mm-hmm. on the San Francisco Peninsula. Beautiful forest. Um, redwood trees, as far as you can see, there's like mushrooms growing and, um, ferns and, and all sorts of different stuff like that. But there, there's no milkweed growing in a redwood forest. It's, um, you just don't see that. And so even though I had, um, been familiar with the monarch butterflies, I had no connection to milkweed plants because I just didn't have exposure to them. And so, um, that's when, as an adult, I started, I started making the connection and uh, figured out how accessible it was to attract monarchs to, you know, my own garden. And so now I have a monarch way station in the backyard and I'm, uh, and I feel like I have more of a connection than ever to the monarchs that overwinter in California. Right, right. So I think a lot of gardeners either learned it when they were little or they come to it when they're 30 and they're buying a house and trying to figure out the landscaping. That seems to be the most 
two most general ways for people to come to gardening or plants, I guess. So, so did you go back to that overwintering site where there were five butterflies and how the populations increased? Yeah. So the monarch population in the West, it's, um, it's really interesting. Um, the statistics are gathered by the Xerxes Society and the population details are published at westernmonarchcount.org. And the information is accessible for everybody to review. So if we were to look at the population, um, there was, in 1997, the report states that there was um, around 1.2 million monarchs in the Western population. And they were um, counting them in about 100 locations at that time. Now, in 1997, I was on a field trip with um, my elementary school class to Natural Bridges. And I saw them when there was um, probably, there was probably 20 to 40,000, gosh, no, 200,000 to 400,000 monarchs just at that one location when when our class was there. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, the entire population of monarchs is monitored at over 200 locations, nearing 250. And the current population is around 200,000. They reported, yeah, they reported just under 200,000 in uh, 2017, December, Uh, well, November. And so the, the count for the entire population is what I saw at just that location. So the, the, the population has declined. And then uh, it's been fairly stable, but at an extremely depressed number. Um, so that's what I'm trying to change. I'm trying to educate people about the host plant and um, get a monarch butterfly population explosion. That's my goal. Well, I think you and many other people are trying to do the same thing. There's definitely, I mean, a monarchs are one of the poster childs of pollinators right now. And I think you're trying to do something is expand the different types of milkweeds that are available as well and i don't know about in your area but i only ever see mexican milkweed and occasionally asclepias tuberosa but i never really see anything else so i don't know what about you in nevada is there is this same kind of thing or do you happen to have, have some other species available yeah so the um the species of milkweed um as you move across the country um there's diff- there's different native milkweed plants um so right here in um, Nevada, along the Truckee River, um, and also like in my backyard in the neighborhood around here, there's uh, showy milkweed and Mexican world milkweed. And those two milkweeds um, really seem to just run amok out here. Um, they, they tend to find different water sources um, because it is a, a high desert. Um, but as you travel across the country, you see all sorts of different species. And just because I have a species like showy milkweed and I talk really highly about it, that's my native, um, my native milkweed. But when you go to Omaha, Nebraska, you have common milkweed. It's kind of like a sister to the um, showy milkweed. It has a lot of similarities, but it also has a lot of differences and um, it grows further east. Um, growing right next to it in Omaha, you might see clasping milkweed, which is a really unique milkweed with a single stem. And uh, the bloom is entirely different on that wildflower. And then as you go south into um, Mission, Texas, for instance, there's a prostrate milkweed. And that one grows real low along the ground and is extremely drought tolerant and well adapted to, um, you know, the desert life down there in, in the Mission, Texas area. Um, and then you have then you have um, 
like butterfly weed, um, Asclepias tuberosa. And that one was named perennial plant of the year in uh, 2017, I think it's current year, by the Perennial Plant Association. And butterfly weed grows native in almost every single state in the United States. Um, but if you happen to find that one, um, ideally you can search for the local uh, ecotype of that plant. Um, because a southern plant might not be as cold hardy as a northern plant. Um, it just goes back to their roots and, and their history of growing. So um, you can kind of get into more detail about every milkweed plant. And uh, there's really no no end of the learning about, you know, these uh, different varieties. Yeah, yeah. I guess my problem is that most of them aren't cultivated. You can come across uh, some seed types, you know, from native seed nurseries. But, you know, actually seeing them for sale at a local nursery is even harder, you know. Now, are you collecting seeds? Is that how you're starting most of yours? Yeah, I do it a few different ways. Um, I do collect, but because uh, milkweeds are so regional, um, I'm only able to collect the species that are in my area. And even some of the species that are in my area, I'm not able to collect because of the location where they're growing uh, might be in a national forest and you won't collect those yeah. um, for sale anyway, for personal use. Um, there, there are some uh, BLM, Nevada is mostly BLM owned if you look right. at the entire state. Um, so you could collect it for your personal use. So the best place for like the home gardener would be just go in your backyard and um, you can use different resources to locate uh, milkweed and um, but if that's not available to you, you're, as you said, it's really hard to get it in the nursery business because um, propagating the plants is really difficult. Um, tropical milkweed, you can take a cutting and you can clone it and you can make multiple plants. But I've been unsuccessful at doing that with um, almost any other type, unless it's a tropical variety. There's like giant milkweed, which is um, uh, also called crown flower. And that one grows in Hawaii and other tropical locations. That one can be made by cuttings, but most of the um, most of the the ones that grow in America are really cold hardy, and they just can't be propagated easily. And so it usually takes a, a couple years to do that. And most most nurseries don't have the time or space to do that. Um, you know, my backyard, on the other hand, I have about forty plants that I started last <laughs> year, and uh, you know, I might be selling those on Craigslist as uh, because I'm I'm going to be starting about probably 500 plants um you know this this spring as the weather warms up right. from seed have you ever thought about trying to start some kind of milkweed nursery i mean selling on craigslist is this maybe a future idea worth pursuing yeah if i if i were to think about that like when i started i probably would say that that's really far off but you know it's it's about four years later and um, i've got some techniques that are really useful um for for propagating the plants from seed and um you know i've got a little bit of capital um, i'm trying to raise my capital to about ten thousand dollars so that i can um, possibly invest in some property that can either increase habitat or increase uh, plant availability so that, that's definitely um, a possibility in the future now you said you had techniques and i saw your photos of the milk jugs but how are you propagating and can you run us through your propagation techniques yeah, so there's um, there's a super secret way to do it um, that I'm going to be sharing with the world, um, and that's <laughs> going to be in a blog post um, before this episode airs, okay. and uh, that's uh, called Steve Broyles' uh, method of milkweed seed germination. So I want to give credit to uh, Stephen Broyles for bringing this to my attention. 
I just happen to have a platform so that I can blog about it. So I'm going to be uh, introducing that to a lot of people. Um, and basically what it is, is water germination. You take the seed, you put it in water. Um, after about seven days, you change the water every 12 hours. And within the seven days, you're going to have a little sprout coming out. And if the weather's warm, you can plant that seedling and it's going to grow. Uh, an advanced tip, which is called clipping. And you actually take like... Um, either a knife or um, like fingernail clippers and you clip the very tip of the milkweed seed off. And what I found is the milkweed seed is in its little seed package, but it has a, a hard time getting the amount of pressure to get out of the seed. And so by clipping the very bottom of it, it makes it a lot easier for the seed to grow and you get a lot higher germination rates. Now that's one way to do it from seed. The other way is winter sowing. And so I have milk jugs in the backyard that I've prepared using Trudy's winter sowing method and um, you create some drainage holes and a lid put some soil in it and you sprinkle the milkweed seeds on top and then you just put the milkweed seeds outside for the winter that's basically it so I'm growing milkweed right now from seed using winter sowing and it's about the easiest thing you can do because once you do the preparation for it you have created a little microclimate inside mm -hmm. of a milk jug that is basically nature, but the best parts of nature. So, right. yeah, so the the milkweed seed gets cold, but it's also in a safe environment um, so that it doesn't um, get run off from the rain, doesn't right. get washed away. It's protected from squirrels. And then when the weather warms up, it has um, a little bit warmer weather, a little bit earlier inside of that milk jug. And then it also has um, a little bit higher humidity during those summer days. And so the, the little seedling will just take off. And that usually happens um, in the month of April. Mm -hmm. And by May, I can take a single milk jug where I put about 100 seeds and I'll have about 50 seedlings and I'll break those off into individual containers. Okay. And so you just, you'll keep them in the containers through the summer. And would you actually set them out into your garden or, or try to sell them? Yeah. So I will take them from the seedling and um, I have a product that's called a container, which is an mm -hmm. interesting play on words because it's shaped like a cone and it's a container. And it's about 10 inches deep, which is really good for the milkweed plant because it has deep roots. Mm -hmm. And so I can have a flat of 98 of those and they can live all summer. Um, last year, I, I kept many of them in the containers. And then in the fall, I um, transplanted them to um, like a three gallon pot. And so that's where I have um, milkweed plants right now. Now, once the ones, they go dormant in the fall, once they come back in the late spring, um, that's when they would be eligible for possibly selling them. Okay. Uh, they, would be, they would be large enough that they would be able to be transplanted. Um, however, um, I'm not convinced that I'm going to sell them. I might just keep them in my backyard to uh, provide habitat for the monarchs. Yeah. All right. So you give them a full year before you plant them out then, right? Yeah. And in the first year, it's very unlikely that any of them would bloom, especially in a smaller container like that. Right. Okay. Yeah. From my experience, you know, I've, I've put whatever I've sown or direct seeded after we cold stratified them in the fridge and put them out in the garden and they've come up in the flower bed and we've let them grow but you know some of them they haven't gotten that big we've actually had some loss of the swamp milkweed after you know the first year they don't return i mean not even from the roots so i'm not really sure what's happening with the soil or the temperature or, or what 
Yeah, you mentioned that with swamp milkweed. I have two plants in a container, and um, I don't know if they're going to come back this year. Uh, swamp milkweed can be a long-lived plant. I know I know people that have told me that they've had it for between six and ten years, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I'm not getting I'm not getting the same results. Of course, I'm in Nevada, so yeah. it's, you know it's not much of a swamp out here. Well, and that was my thought. I have a pretty music flower bed and we're pretty humid here. So I kind of figured that we'd get a couple of years out of that plant. But, you know, now that you say that, I guess it could really be a short-lived perennial. Yeah, it's also it's also possible that it's putting some, um, it's putting a lot of work into its roots because um, milkweeds in general, they, they are very efficient as far as um, doing what's best for them. So it's right. possible that, you know, like uh, I look at my trees and I've heard that, you know, first year it sleeps, second year it creeps, and third year it leaps. So maybe that's possible with the swamp milkweed too. Yeah, that'd be nice if they spontaneously came back after a year or two. Um, So so you said the cuttings, you haven't had success with anything else, but but, um, I guess, how are you doing your cuttings? Did you try root hormones or water rooting? Yeah, so basically water rooting. um, And then I've also, I've used um, like a rooting hormone from uh, like off the shelf from uh, box store. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the trick when I did have success, um, with the tropical milkweed, uh, is the season. Um, the season is really important. So catching the cutting, um, taking the cutting off the plant when it is, um, springtime and it's growing vigorously and then stripping most of the, the leaves off the stem and, um, also, um, putting a tent over the so putting the cutting in water immediately and then putting a tent over it to keep the humidity up and uh, moderate the temperature inside and then simply moving the plant into the house um, out of direct sunlight and uh, so by capturing a vigorously growing plant um, and then providing a little bit of extra humidity for the top growth because if it um, withers too much um, then it won't it won't set roots Right. And um, actually, I think the plants that I took from cuttings, I still have. Uh, I overwintered them in the garage, and and I think I'm going to have them back this next year. So uh, they can they can do all right from cuttings uh, with tropical milkweed for sure. Yeah, I um I've tried root hormones and then stick it in the dirt, and I've tried rooting it in water, which I did have luck getting the roots to set. But once I planted them out in the pots, you know they rotted. So, but. Last year, I took a ton of cuttings, and I didn't do anything other than that, and I just stuck them in the dirt, and it was, you know, September or October, and still humid and hot, and I think most of them have rooted, except a few that didn't overwinter so great. So I'm hoping that, you know, that is a good success for me this year, you know, at least. Well, and um, the seeds are pretty easy to come by, and for yes. tropical milkweed, um, the seeds are are fairly easy to start, relatively speaking. And uh, the plants grow pretty quickly, so you get a lot of new growth in the first year. And so that's that's the really nice thing about it. Um, the possibility for um, – you're in a pretty pretty mild climate down there. The possibility for um, the protozoa um, OE mm-hmm. exists on the plants. And so by starting them from seed, you basically you get a fresh start. So yeah. – um, you know, that's a good way to go for a lot, for a lot of people that um, they might have plants that don't lose their leaves. And um, as an op- as an alternative to, um, say, cutting the plant back in the fall or something like that, because it's, it's really hard for some people to do that because they have monarchs year round. 
um, maybe start some new plants from seed and you get some fresh, fresh um, caterpillar food. Yeah. I know in South Florida, they have a year round monarch population and tropical is probably the one of the most common milkweeds to see there. It'd be hard for people to cut back. That's for sure. Now this year I had no problem. I did cut them back, but then we had several deep freezes that, you know, really eliminated that problem anyway. Yeah. And maybe the freezes will help the swamp milk. We'd give it a period of dormancy. That's something else I was wondering about too, is the periods of dormancy, you know, needing the plants to go dormant. Um, I definitely wonder if trying some of the more Northern species down here is you know, not such a good idea. It's definitely a possibility that they're struggling with that. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, winter, winter doesn't happen everywhere, but, uh, most of the milkweeds have adapted to it really well. Um, and some of them, if you try growing them, um, like there's really popular this year is purple milkweed. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you try growing purple milkweed in Florida, uh, it doesn't really get a dormant period and that could really stress out the plant. Um, and, uh, it, it, when it likes to go dormant and then come back, um, it doesn't get an opportunity to do that. So I don't know how long those plants will live. Right. Um, so do you want to talk about raising your monarchs? Do you have any special techniques, cages, anything else to you do to raise them? Uh, yeah, so I do. Um, basically, I would like to preface this with that my goals are to have uh, basically a sustainable habitat that doesn't require any rearing of monarchs. Mm-hmm. But since monarchs are so accessible and so easy to, um, to basically um, rear in an enclosure, um, you know, I do that because it increases the survival rate of the monarchs. Um, so I, to give you some statistics um, about my, my rearing, uh, when I started in 2014, I collected uh, one caterpillar. It was already fifth in star, very big. And I released one butterfly in 2014. I had zero milkweed plants. In 2015, I released 29 monarchs on about uh, four different tropical milkweed plants that I got from a nursery. And then in 2016, um, I released 40 monarchs and I had uh, begun growing some native milkweeds and um, all of those butterflies were attracted to the garden um, with the uh, increased amount of milkweed plants. And then last year in 2017, I had 46 monarchs um, that I released and I have more milkweed plants than ever. So basically, I just wanted to point out that there's a trend in my backyard over four years. Uh, increasing milkweed habitat has increased the number of monarchs that it's attracted. Um, so what I do is if I get a uh, like a migrating monarch comes through and lays eggs on the plant, I'll go out and I'll collect those eggs. Or if it, a week's gone by, they'll already be caterpillars. And I'll take them and I'll put them inside of an enclosure on the patio. Um, Like I have an iguana cage, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And um, what that does is it allows the, the, the caterpillar to live on a live plant and uh, eat the milkweed, but it's protected from all of the various predators. There are a ton of predators that um, will kill monarch caterpillars. I mean, just like any other caterpillar, when you think about how many um, caterpillars a bird feeds to a baby bird, um, it's, you know, it's hundreds, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds. And so um, birds are one of the predators, Um, even though they're brightly colored, uh, the monarchs are not safe. Um, So I have a rearing enclosure. And then as soon as the um, 
caterpillar becomes a chrysalis and then the chrysalis um, emerges a healthy butterfly um, within the first uh, four to eight hours i'll open the door on the rear end enclosure and let that monarch fly free and uh, it goes right back into the the population that it was that it came from and uh, i've had really good success with that um, this year like i said i'm trying to move towards um, just a more sustainable habitat and so um, we also have some vacations planned that are right in the middle of the summer. And so I won't be able to to monitor their health and provide them new new milkweed as frequently this year. Right. And so um, I'm really I'm really banking on um, my butterfly garden providing all that habitat that they need. And uh, so it's it's going to be a, a all natural garden, and uh, I'm I'm hoping for the best. You know. Right. So I guess you're planning out this garden. I guess you have nectar plants. And uh, what kind of nectar plants are you including? Yeah, absolutely. So nectar plants are super important because they fuel the adult monarch butterflies um, as well as a bunch of other butterfly species. Um, I have, uh, you know, you can common sunflower is a great plant um, in the in the heat late in the summer. It does really well. Uh, I have a uh, I have a bush um, like a small tree called desert willow. And uh, it grows in like uh, arroyos, um, desert washes in New Mexico, California, and Nevada. And I'm at the northern part of its range, but uh, it's a hummingbird magnet. And uh, bumblebees just go inside there and uh, take a bath in the pollen. Um, there's a there's a really cool plant called uh, Rocky Mountain Bee Plant, which has this uh, like purple violet um, bloom on it, and it grows about four feet tall. And uh, that's a really neat one. And then uh, 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 Harry Mountain Mint is really mm-hmm. cool. It's also a host plant for a tiny blue butterfly. Um, I actually came in. I was like, wait a minute. Why did I plant this? And I was reading in my book. I go, oh, it's a host plant for this little blue butterfly. And I went outside just in time to see a tiny blue butterfly get eaten by a spider. Oh, no. <laughs> so it did attract the butterfly. But uh, there's also spiders living out there. So. Right. Uh, you know, good for that spider, I guess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so nectar nectar flowers are super important to have. Um, the more nectar flowers you have around your milkweed, it seems like it creates a better habitat for um, for the butterflies because they they feel right at home. They can fuel up with nectar and also uh, lay eggs and uh, increase the the butterfly population. Right, right. Um, so now is your wife as interested in monarchs and milkweed as you are, or is this a, a solo man thing? I will say that she loves sea turtles. Okay. Um, I love sea turtles. Yeah, <laughs> she likes sea turtles. Um, we both have our own interests. Uh, she, I will say that she has really come around, and uh, she got me for Valentine's Day, she got me a, a monarch butterfly cutting board. Uh, you know, so she's, she's really adapted to it really well, the, this hobby that I have. So, uh, she's definitely not as enthusiastic as I am, but, uh, she, she's coming around and, um, she's a teacher in the elementary schools and she's incorporated some, uh, butterfly activities into the curriculum. So, so I think she, I think she does like them, but it's hard to say if it's on the same level as I am. Right. Right. Well, that's good. At least she's interested, right? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, what's your favorite milkweed? It could be native or non-native. I mean, to your region, I guess. Yeah, the um, it's it's really hard to to nail that down. Gosh, because you know, as soon as I have a milkweed plant in front of me, like that one's immediately the most interesting. But I would say that, um, uh, well, 
showy milkweed is is my go-to plant just for the location that I'm in. But if I were to become location independent and uh, think about a milkweed, it would probably be heartleaf milkweed, Asclepius cordifolia, um, because the leaf and the plant and the habitat that it grows in, it's, um, it's up in the mountains. It's in the Sierras, a place that I love to go. It has a super soft, um, like buttery leaf and, uh, it's extremely hardy considering the, the winter snow that it, it lives under all winter. Mm-hmm. Um, it pops up in the early spring and by midsummer, uh, it's spreading its seeds around. Um, the bloom is this, uh, maroon color. Um, amazing plant. It's just beautiful. And that's hard leaf milkweed. Um, so I guess, have you had any milkweed hurdles that you've had to overcome? Yeah, the, um, so for me, the milkweed hurdles is like the learning curve about getting, getting the plant to grow. Um, it was really difficult because, um, you know, it's called milkweed, but, um, first of all, it's, it's not a weed, you know, that's a misconception. Um, the, the difficult thing is, is definitely just getting the plant to grow. Like I'm not a gardener by trade. I work in the airline business, um, in operations. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to make the plant accessible to the average person. And, uh, you know, it's difficult. You just, you know, you take some seeds, you think they're going to grow in seven days, then they don't. Uh, right. And just learning that and kind of uh, adapting to what the, what the plant needs. Um, that's definitely been, it's definitely been a, the biggest hurdle. Um, but I think that's behind me. And I think I'm going to be able to help a lot of people, um, you know, with their own gardening and, and um, getting native species, uh, into their yard. Um, and that's my goal. So hopefully I can overcome that, that hurdle this year and and get people really motivated about starting plants from seed in their own garden. Yeah. And you had started a series about that on your podcast as well. Are you going to continue doing that too? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I was motivating people at the end of 2017 to collect their milk jugs and, um, get the seeds into their, into their planters. Um, and so right now it's winter, but, um, that's going to be resuming in March. Um, we're going to be, you know, maybe at the end of March, depending if you're in the South, you might be seeing some growth already. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to follow up with that and, uh, uh, help people get those little seedlings separated out and, and growing on their own. So that's definitely the next step. You've been doing your podcast now for several years. Um, I guess is, is your goal to keep doing that for as long as you can? Yeah, I figured there was, um, there's a space for it. So I'm going to keep doing it, uh, until maybe some better competition comes along and does it better than me. You know? right. So, um, but for the time being, you know, I, I, I felt like I wanted to hear that content and it wasn't available. So I decided I would, I would go out and create it on my own. So, uh, I've been enjoying it and it, it works out as a nice little, um, uh, like audio diary, I guess. Um, and maybe years from now, people will look back at it and go, Oh man, that was really helpful. So no, I find it helpful for sure. And, you know, and podcasting is such a weird genre too, because, you know, I'm not an expert with my podcast, but there weren't too many gardening podcasts at the time. And I was like, well, I'm just going to do it. I'm not an expert. Let's, let's try this. Yeah. I would say, uh, it was a really interesting time when I started all of this because, um, some of the podcasts I were listening to were, uh, they were financial podcasts like, uh, Dave Ramsey show <laughs> and, um, also business podcast, um, Pat Flynn out of San Diego. 
um, I actually had my one of my questions answered by Pat Flynn on his uh, show called Ask Pat. And my question was, you know, how do I create a better homepage? And I was specifically asking about the Grow Milkweed Plants website. And the response that he gave was that, um, you know, basically you focus on your customer and you tell a story. And so I'm trying to be a guide to help visitors um, basically achieve the results that I had. And that formula works really well because the type of person that may visit Grow Milkweed Plants is somebody that, you know, wants to grow milkweed plants. And I'm here to provide um, information, resources to support them in doing that. And so, um, and the podcasting community has just been great for that purpose. Um, it's, it's worked out really well. Tremendous. Right, right. I agree. Um, now, what are you selling uh, with milkweed seeds on your website at the moment? Do you source them or do you have other people source seeds? How do you go about that? Some seeds are from native seed farms. So, um I purchase them in bulk if I can. And uh, if only a couple are available, I might only purchase a couple. And then I'll figure out the unit cost. And basically I sell to the end user, which is going to be like the home gardener or um, somebody that's trying to propagate an extremely um, difficult to source seed. And um, I figure out what my costs are for that seed. Uh, I mark it up a little bit. Uh, so that I can have some some income for you know future butterfly activities, right. and then uh, then I sell it through GrowMilkweedPlants.com at the store. I have more inventory right now than ever before. Um, I had a peak of inventory in the fall. Fall is usually the best time for for milkweed seed availability because um, everybody has harvested their seeds at the end of the summer. And uh, then they become available. Uh, and then it's also the best time to start growing them. Um, I had about uh, 16 species of milkweed seed at one point. Um, some really difficult, really difficult to find ones. The, the heartleaf milkweed um, is just not very common. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of species down in Texas that you would think would be really common, but they're, they're just not available like uh, the antelope horns and, um, uh, things like that. They they just don't like, there's a few places that are available, but some of the prices are really high. And yeah. um, so if I can buy it in bulk, I can get that. I can usually get that cost down. I sell almost all my seeds are about $8. Um, the quantity varies within the seed. So you could have as few as eight seeds for um, sand milkweed, which is uh, grows out in Colorado. Mostly uh, it's really, um, small population of the plants and so sand milkweed is eight dollars for 10 seeds or you can get um common milkweed seeds which is 300 dollars uh not 300 dollars no <laughs> none of my products are that much sorry 300 seeds for eight dollars and right. so you get a lot more value from that um but uh and then there's a couple seeds that are maybe 20 dollars um and then i sell by uh, some of them are by the gram you can get you know, hundreds of seeds for 20 dollars um so real real simple pricing and um, i haven't taken any income out of uh, grow milkweed plants um, all the money that comes in as profit has remained in the account right now um for future well for tax purposes mostly but <laughs> for um for future butterfly habitat so uh, there, there is an end goal but i haven't figured out what it is i just Whatever it is, it's going to be expensive. I know that. Well, you know, you got to start somewhere. And I guess you might as well be doing this for now, right? <laughs> um, now, do you have any final tips or pointers? Um, oh, well, wait. 
before I get to that, do you have any tips for germinating the milkweed uh, when you send out the orders? Yeah, so I I use um, basically I use nature's formula when I send out the the milkweed seeds, which is a period of cold moist stratification. Mm-hmm. So if you if you purchase the seeds, um, there's a couple of varieties that may not need cold moist stratification, but I include the information for every seed order, and that basically says. Um, uh, and this is not the not nature's way, but you're simulating nature's way. So if you receive the seeds, a lot of them benefit from cold moist stratification. And, and what that is, is um, you can take the seed and you chill it and you provide moisture for about a month, up to two months. And uh, you simply uh, get a damp paper towel, put it in a Ziploc bag with the seeds and put them in the refrigerator for a month. And what the seed's doing during that time is it's uh, imbibing the water and absorbing that, and it's changing the, uh, the the biology of the seed, preparing it to grow. And then when it comes out of the refrigerator in about a week, you can just keep it in the moisture. And if the temperature's correct, um, like in the upper 70s, lower 80s, um, and it has that moisture, that seed's basically ready to start kicking, and it'll um, it'll send out its little root and... Um, you're off to the races at that point. Um, that's one of the hardest things is just getting the seed to start growing. Got you. Well, that's good. You're not sending people off blind. I didn't figure you were, but you know, I thought I'd ask anyway. Yeah. And I get a, I get a lot of follow-up emails and I respond to all of those. Um, if there's anything I can give you a pointer, if anybody has any questions, I always offer support for that. Education is one of the most important things, um, that I do. I would say that. Okay. So, yeah. Do you have any final tips, pointers um, to people who are wanting to join this journey of growing milkweed plants for, you know, supporting the monarchs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to give a call to action to your listeners. Um, I have a free giveaway that I want everybody to participate in. Um, it's called Milkweed Madness. I just typed in Milkweed Madness into um, my search bar and it was the second and third result with the third result being last year's event. Um, so the, the website URL is growmilkweedplants.com slash milkweedmadness. There's a registration page there. I collect your email in the future. I'll, you'll get some awesome emails, including things like giveaways that I do. And uh, Milkweed Madness is basically an event where I plug you in, in um, around March 11th. It mirrors March Madness. It's not related to March Madness. However, um, if your milkweed progresses to the championship round, you win prizes. I'm giving away $20 Amazon gift card. I'm giving away um, uh, Dr. Uh, Argwal's book, Monarchs and Milkweed. Um, I'm giving away uh, uh, Kylie uh, Bomley's book, um, The Beautiful Monarch. I think that's the title. It's not in front of me. Um, and I'm giving away I'm giving away a ton of stuff. I've got uh, milkweed stems that are used for bee nesting tubes. I have um, a bird feeder that's going to be filled with uh, milkweed silk from the seed pods that you put up in your yard in the spring and birds use it as um, nesting material, which is way better than plastic. Um, And so I'm giving away a ton of prizes to um, the champion. And then also if you make it to the champion round Um, and it's, it's a random assignment. So it's basically a random giveaway but um, I just have fun with the way I do it. So that's milkweed madness and you have to register to play and uh, give a valid email address and I'll contact you um, 
in early March with your details. And then in early April, the winner is selected. Okay. Is there a deadline for the registration? Yeah. March 10th at midnight is the deadline for registration, March 10th, 2018. And uh, if you're listening to this after then, you can still go go to uh, the website I mentioned and I'll have um, a new giveaway because I'm going to do it in uh, 2019 also. Okay. So you've mentioned a website and you're on Instagram as well, right? Uh, you're just grow milkweed plants, I believe. Yeah, it's uh, I believe it's Grow Milkweed Plants um, on Twitter. It's Grow Milkweed because they don't allow as many characters. But uh, yeah, Grow Milkweed Plants on Instagram, really active there. Uh, great community. Uh, you're there, the Garden Path Podcast. Yeah. I used to do Twitter, but I cut that out, and now I'm off. So yep. I had, I had thought about that, but I have a little bit of traction with some some great people there. So that's good. I that's am good. on Twitter, and uh, no Facebook or YouTube or anything like that. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, I'm on almost every social media channel. Um, I am on Facebook. I have both a uh, page, which is uh, managed by me, and it has the Grow Milkweed Plants brand. And then I also have a group. And uh, even if you don't follow the page, I highly recommend you join the group. If you're a member of any group on Facebook, um, you know, it's a really hyper-focused subject matter. So, like, I mean, I'm in a drone community, for instance, um, Mm -hmm. a drone group, but I'm, I, I'm the admin of Grow Milkweed Plants um, group. And man, there are a ton of awesome people in there. If you have a question about milkweed and you um, ask it in the group, you're going to get some wonderful answers from all the different people that, that are very knowledgeable. Okay. Well, that sounds helpful. Absolutely. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your milkweed wealth and knowledge in your journey and i hope it inspires other people to uh, grow milkweed plants as well i hope so too thanks so much misty all right well thank you and have a great day